passage uh, tonight. Uh, well, there's so much to be said and explained in this uh, in this chapter, but I pray you just help uh, us to listen, to be able to make a few applications, and and to be able to learn from the passage tonight. Thank you, Lord, for uh, allowing us to be able to gather together and have church on a Sunday night, to be able to open your word, to sing songs, to pray, and then to, to, to be able to listen to preaching. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 30. And uh, look at verse 1. The Bible says, And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. If you remember from the previous weeks, uh, Jacob had worked seven years uh, because he wanted to marry this young lady, Rachel. And at the end of his seven years, he worked that amount of time for Laban, who was the father of Rachel, in order to be able to marry Rachel. Laban tricked Jacob, and tricked him into marrying the elder daughter, Leah. And then, so, uh, Jacob ended up married to Leah, and then he had to work an additional seven years to be able to marry Rachel, and he has these two wives. And, and, and we read there in the passage, eventually he ends up with four wives. And I, this isn't part of the sermon, but, you know, uh, God never designed for uh, polygamy. God never designed for uh, have people having multiple spouses, multiple wives, or multiple husbands. He said, you know, uh, God made one wife for Adam. And, and you can see from this chapter just the amount of mess that you get when that happens. And I think someone's at the door there. See if it's for church, or is it someone trying to sell something? <laughs> and um, anyway, let's pay. Let's come back here. And what happened was that he was going to, you know, she, she, she had. He ended up having these four wives, and, and you just see the mess there in uh, ch- in, in chapter thirty when people are just, uh, you know, they're fighting and they're bickering and, and all of that. But you know, chapter one, what happened was Leah started having lots of children, and Rachel had no children. She was barren. And if you look at verse 1, it says, And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Now, if you look at verse 2, you see Jacob's response. It says, And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? So obviously Jacob says, Look, am I God you know, to give you a child? You know, I haven't withheld from you uh, uh, having, having a son. God has. But you know, it's very uh, appropriate that verse 1 of this chapter begins with Rachel having a demand for children. Because it represents what this entire chapter is about. The first 24 verses we just read of of Jacob's family growing. And by the way, I don't know if you caught it, but these sons that he had with these women are the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, this is, you know, the history in the making. These 12 boys ended up becoming the 12 tribes of Israel that went into Egypt and went into the Promised Land and did great things. But, um, you know, that's what the first part of the chapter was. But even the second part of the chapter, after you get part, past verse 24, it goes into the story there of the flocks and Jacob and all of those things. It still, even though it transitions into another story, but it continues with the same theme. And the theme of this chapter is of growth, it's of increase, it's of multiplication, it's of, it's of growing, it's about increasing, it's about taking a little bit and increasing it unto a multitude. Look at verse number 25 in Genesis 30. It says, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, 
that Jacob said unto Laban, send me away. So Jacob is talking to Laban, his father-in-law, who's also his boss. And he said, send me away that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. He says, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee and let me go. For thou knowest my service which I have done which I have done thee. Now you got to understand, Jacob just got done working 14 years for Laban and has nothing to show for it except wives and children. He's gained no material goods. That, that's all he's worked for. If you look at verse 27, And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. So Laban said, look, I've learned by experience that God, the Lord, has blessed me, and He's blessed my business because of you. And that's a great testimony. You know, that's, that's what your boss at work ought to say of a Christian, that God has blessed me because of you. Look at verse 28. And he said, Appoint me thy wages, and I will give it. And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how thy cattle was with me, for it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it is now increased unto a multitude, and the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming, and now when shall I provide for mine own house also? So, the first thing I want you to see in this story is that Jacob was successful at growing, at multiplying, and increasing sheep. Jacob had been doing this for a long time. If you remember when Jacob lived with his father Isaac, that's what he did for a living. Esau was a man of the field. He hunted. Jacob was a man of the flocks and he had those feet. So he worked with those sheep there for Isaac. And after the last 14 years, he's worked for Laban. And Laban says, I know that God has blessed you, has blessed me because of your sake. And, and Jacob even says, and Laban agrees, that when Jacob showed up, it was little which he had. But now that Jacob's been working and Jacob's been, has been taking over that job, that his flocks have increased. So Jacob was very successful at growing, at multiplying, and increasing sheep. Now I'd like you to keep your finger there in Genesis chapter number 30, and go with me to Psalms 119. Psalm 119 there in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible, just smack down in the middle, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And if you go to Psalm 119, look at uh, verse number 176. Psalm 119, look at verse number 176. Often in the Bible, sheep are used as a to represent people. Let me show you that. In Psalm 119, 176, the Bible says, The psalmist said, David said this, He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. So he said, I have gone astray, and this is what he said, Like a lost sheep. Let me show you another example. You're there in Psalms, go with me to Jeremiah. If you just keep going towards the right of your... Uh, Old Testament there, you'll find uh, three big books of the prophets. You find Isaiah, Jeremiah, then a small book, Lamentations, and a big book, Ezekiel. And you want to go to Jeremiah chapter number 50. Look at Jeremiah chapter number 50, and look at verse number 6. Jeremiah chapter number 50, and look at verse number 6. This is what God said, Jeremiah 56. He said, My people have been lost sheep. 
Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from the mountains, from mountains to hill. They have forgotten their, their resting places. And I just want you to see the first phrase of that verse. God said, my people have been lost sheep. And there's multiple, you can go back to Genesis 30. There's multiple other examples I could have showed you. But I just want to show you that, that the Bible, in the Bible, oftentimes sheep represent people. They represent us. And God says, you know, you say, why does God use sheep? Because sheep are dumb. Because <laughs> sheep get lost. Because sheep... Uh, often stray. And that's why he uses that representation. But here in the story, I believe that the, uh, we could represent those sheep, could represent people, and, and Jacob uh, could represent uh, uh, someone who's trying to reproduce, who's trying to increase, who's trying to multiply sheep. You know, we preached this morning on the subject of the Great Commission. I often don't try to preach on the same subject in the, in the sermon, but really we're talking about soul winning. You know, and I'm not going to preach on the Great Commission, but I, we are going to talk about, you know, when you multiply sheep, when you increase sheep. That's really what we're trying to do in a church. We're trying to find the lost sheep that are out there and we're trying to bring them back to the fold. If you remember the parable where Jesus talked about the a person having a hundred sheep and one sheep got lost and he left the ninety-nine to go find that one sheep and bring him back to the fold. That's what we're talking about. That represents a sinner. That represents a person. And Jacob in the story was a very successful soul winner. He was a very successful uh, person when it came to the business of increasing, of multiplying, of having Having lots of sheep, he knew what he was doing. He knew how to get it done. But here's the problem. Look at verse 30. Jacob wanted his own flock. Look at verse 30. He says, For it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it is now increased unto a multitude, and the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. But notice what he says, And now... When shall I provide for mine own house also? If you remember, like I said, Jacob has been working for 14 years, and he's got his wife, and he's got his kids, but he has no possessions. He has no riches. He doesn't have any money. He's broke. And he says, hey, you know, what about me? He says, now how shall I provide for mine own also? And what Jacob was really saying, he was saying this, I've helped my father Isaac multiply sheep. I've helped Laban multiply sheep. I've helped people. I've helped others. I've been involved. You know, and people growing their congregation and people growing their sheep. And people. But he's saying, I'd like to do it. And you know, that's what our attitude ought to be as Christians. That's why we preach this morning on the Great Commission and on going out and getting people saved. Because we as Christians ought to have the attitude, you know, uh, we ought to rejoice when we look at this bulletin and we see, you know, what was it, 78 people saved this year and 9 people baptized this year. But you know, the reason we put that in the bulletin is to get you fired up because you ought to look at that and say, hey, I want somebody saved. Hey, I want to get somebody baptized. Hey, I want to have some, a convert next to me in church. I, I want there to be somebody who I got saved, who I brought to church. I want to see that same multiple. I don't just want to see the pastor do it. I don't just want to see the church do it. I don't just want to see other people do it. I want to do it. And that's what Jacob was saying. He was saying, I want my own flock. I want my own sheep. He said, I'm not, I, I'm not satisfied with just helping other people. I love helping other people, but I want to see those results. That's what he was saying. Jacob was tired of watching everyone else's flocks grow. He wanted his own. And that's how we should be. We ought to want our own flocks. We ought to want our own converts. We ought to want, hey, I'd love, as a, the pastor of Verity Baptist Church, to baptize your convert. To baptize the person you've been working on. To baptize the person you knocked on their door 
and you brought them to church, and you're helping disciple them, and you're helping them grow, and they got baptized, and they're your convert. Hey, that'd be praise the Lord if everybody in church was working at increasing their own flock, their own sheep. I'm not talking about starting your own church or anything like that. I, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I can't be a pastor. I'm talking about you having converts. You getting somebody saying, hey, have you ever had anybody come to this church because you invited them? Have you ever had anybody come to this church because you got them saved? Have you ever had anybody had in that baptistry because you led them to the Lord and you talked to them about baptism and they got saved because of you and they're here because of you? If you shouldn't, you ought to have that goal. You know, you, you ought to have that goal where you want to see somebody uh, saved. But not only that, Jacob, not only did he want his own flock, Jacob wanted God to provide his increase. Look at verse number 31. And he said, what shall I give thee? Now this is Laban talking. And Laban says to Jacob, what shall I give thee? He says, okay, Jacob, I understand you're the reason I, my flock has grown. And God has blessed you because of, has blessed me because of you. But he said, what do you want? He said, I'll give you whatever you want. He said, ask, give, tell me your price. He says, uh, you know, and he said, what shall I give thee? But notice what Jacob said. And Jacob said, thou shalt not give me anything. Jacob says, I don't want you to give me anything. He said, if thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flocks. See, Jacob's attitude was, no, I, his, his attitude was, I want my own. You know, I, I don't. You know, that's, I, I think of it like this way. You know, there are people that go in the ministry who start their own church from scratch, just knocking doors, just come to a town, don't know anybody, start knocking doors. And there are those people who go out and try to, you know, take over a church. You know, if, have you ever heard of a church looking for a pastor and they'll have a committee and all these different things? You know, and people do that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you know, you know, I, I don't really necessarily as a pastor want to walk into somebody else's church and just start pastoring. You know, I, I, I'm kind of like Jacob. I don't have this attitude. I say, God, you know, I like my own. You know, I, I'd like to see you use me. I'd like to, to see you build this church. I'd like to see you bring people here, you know. And that's kind of what Jacob was saying because uh, Laban said to him, you know, tell me what, what you want. He said, what shall I give thee? And Jacob said, thou shalt not give me any. And that's what the exciting, you know, it's hard, you know, when you're starting a church, you know, and you're eight months old. And you think, oh, eight months, that's a long time. Look, this church has been, this city has been around for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Eight months is nothing. You know, and when you're starting out, sometimes you think, oh, you know, but really this is the exciting time. Because this is the time, you know, because when we've been here 10 years, when we've been here 20 years, and we're in a nice building somewhere, and we got a nice crowd or whatever, you know, these times people say, man, I remember when we were back in the house. You know, wouldn't that be great? And I remember, I remember when it was Sunday night, there was like four of us. You know, and, and that's the exciting time when you when you can stand back and say, "Hey, I want to see God increase this. I don't want Laban to give me his flock. I want to see God give me some flock." And that's what he was saying. Look at verse thirty-two. And I will pass. Notice what Jacob said: "I will pass through all thy flocks today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle and all the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled among the goats." And of such shall be my hire. Now, it'll make more sense as we read more into it, but you'll see there that Jacob, when he said, I don't want you to give me anything you own right now. Now, he wasn't saying that he didn't want sheep. But what he was saying is, don't give me anything you have now. He said, I'm going to take of that which the cattle... He said, I'm going to continue working with your flock. But when that cattle that you have, when those sheep that you have, when they give birth, that's going to be my hire. And he said, I'm only going to take... Of the spotted, speckled, and brown. 
Alright? Now he says there in verse 32, I will pass through the flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle and the brown. Because this is what he's saying. Anything that's... Because this, this is what he's saying. And just so you understand the story. He said, you got all this cattle, you got all this sheep, you got all... He said, anything that is spotted, speckled, and brown, that's going to be my hire. That's going to be my wages. But anything that's spotted and speckled and brown right now is not mine. He said, I'll go through and I'll remove those. I'll count those. Those belong to you. But whatever is born from here on, that's spotted, speckled, and brown, that's going to be what you're going to pay me. Anything from now. So here's what, here's what you got to understand what Jacob is asking for. You know, well, first of all, let me say this. Yeah, yeah, I thought about this quote. When Laban said, give, you know, what will I give thee? And Jacob says, I don't want anything from you. It reminded about me when, when Abraham, I don't know if you, you might have not been here for that ser- uh, sermon. But when Abraham, when, when the king of, uh, of, uh, of Sodom said to Abraham, you know, let me pay you for their service. And Abraham said, I don't want anything from you. You know, he said, just give, give those guys what they have, And I don't want anything from you. You know, and there's a song, uh, uh, I don't know if it's in our hymn book, but there's a song people sing. And they'll sing, you know, uh, part of the song says, I'm rich, but not from Satan's wages. And that's really what, uh, what uh, Jacob was saying. He's saying, I, I want God's increase, but I don't want it to come from the world. That's what Laban represents. He said, I don't want it to come from the devil. I don't, want him, I don't want to get paid from the world. I want God to pay me. But if you, if you look at what Jacob is asking for, he's asking for the speckled, the spotted, the brown. He's asking for sheep that are flock that is speckled and spotted, and he's asking for cattle that's brown. Now, when you think of a flock of sheep, do you think brown? Generally, no. What do you think of? You think of sheep, and you think what color? White. white. Because the majority of sheep are white. When you think of cows, do you think of brown cows? No. You think of white cows with black markings. That's what a cow looks like. Now, there are brown cows. And there are speckled and spotted sheep. But that's not the overwhelming majority. See, what Jacob was asking for when he was saying, I I want sheep, he was asking for what others would consider ugly. He was asking for what others, what would be the least in percentage. If you think about it, most sheep are white. Very few are brown. Very few are speckled. Very few are spotted. He was asking for the least in number. He was asking for that which would have the least value. If you were selling a speckled and spotted you know, lamb versus a nice white lamb, which one is going to have the most value? Which one is going to hold the most value? He was asking for the least in value. He was asking for that which maybe others would not want, which others would not like. And that's why I'm saying this represents a, a, a church and soul winning. Go with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. In chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And look at verse number 26. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 in your New Testament. If you go to the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Look at verse number 26. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Look at verse 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And verse 26, the Bible says this, For ye see your calling, brethren. Notice what he says. I'd really like you to see this verse. 1 Corinthians 1.26 For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise, notice he said, not many wise, after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God 
have chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things which are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. See when, it, see, when it comes to the business of multiplying sheep, when it comes to the business of multiplying souls, when it comes to the business of increasing and multiplying and growing, God often chooses that which is ugly, that which is least, that which is a base, that which is unkind, uh, unseemly, that which people... The, 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 when, when the world would say, uh, you know, they'll say, yeah, that's the foolish of the world. Those are the poor people. Those are the ugly people. Those are the people, you know, people often say, uh, uh, in church, you know, pe- people who, and here's the honest truth, you know, and I, you know, I'm not trying to be rude or offensive, but I, I have found in my life that the people who've got all the money in the world, who have their life put together, who have everything going on, seem as if they have no need for church. Seem as if they have, they have no need for God. And often God will have to humble us and will have to destroy us and will have to bring us out to make us see our need. Think of the prodigal son. Had all the money in the world, had all the friends in the world, had everything in the world, he didn't need dad. But the moment the money ran out, the moment the, you know, and here's what happened, the money runs out and the friends run out. Funny how that works. And the moment he found himself feasting with the pigs, he saw his need. You know, I, I often, when I think of this, I think of David. David, uh, some mighty men who came to be known as these warriors who, who David had, these men who would fight, and, I mean, they would do uh, great feats of strength and power as they, as they fought, and you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of David's mighty men and the stories of those men and these warriors that David trained, but often we forget that when David was running from Saul, the Bible says that all those who were in debt, all those who were in distress, all of those who were running from the law, all of those who didn't know where to go and didn't know what to do, those are the ones that followed David, and David took this group of people in debt, distress, running from the law and running from their own lives and running from things that they had done. And David was able to take these men who maybe would have looked at at like outcasts and would have looked like people that that nobody wanted and that that were a a burden to society. And David took these men and made them the greatest warriors that are ever mentioned in the Bible. And that's what church is about. It's taking the speckled and taking the ugly and taking the rich dragon, taking the least and taking that which nobody wants and nobody values. And Jacob said, that's what I want. He said, I I want that to be my increase. I want to bring my... That's why the Bible says, you know, the Pharisees would look at Jesus and they'd say, why does he uh, uh, eat with the sinners? Why does he, uh, uh, you know, why is he with with the publicans? Why isn't he with the religious people? And and Jesus responded, they that are holy, not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, he said, I came to, to find, and this is what Jesus said, the lost sheep of Israel. He, J- Jesus was saying like Jacob, I came to find the sheep that nobody wants to even look for. And that was Jacob's attitude. He said, I want the ring straken. I want the ugly. I want the things of no value. He said, of such shall be my height. Look at verse number 33. Jacob makes a wonderful statement. He said, So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come to pass for my hire before thy face. He said, Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me. He said, Look, if you find something that's nice in my flock, 
you can you can blame me for stealing it because that, he said I want the speckled and the spotted and the and you, you say Pastor Jimenez, do you are you just searching for for that one you know you're just trying to get that one millionaire saved you can come to finance you you know what I'd rather just have you know a group of a bunch of people that are humble and maybe poor and broke and hey I'll be poor and broke with you but I'd rather just have you know an increase. Than just one nice, you know, one person, you know, that you can't even preach to them because they don't even want to hear. He he wanted what maybe others would not want. He wanted what maybe others would not see the value. See, God is in the business of seeing the value in that which nobody sees. Remember when David was going to be anointed for king, and Samuel he he saw his older brother. He said, "Surely that's the one." And God said, "No, that's not it." And he said, "Sure." And he and they brought him. Brother after brother after brother, and he kept thinking, "That's the one. That's the one. That's the one." And God kept saying, "No, no, no." And when they, and then they, he said, "Are there any others?" He said, "Well, there's there's just one. One. We got the youngest one. Guess where David was? Out with the sheep. Out, out tending the things that nobody wanted." And Samuel said, "Bring me that one." And when he showed up, God said to, to Samuel, "That's the one. Anoint him. The one that nobody considered. The one that nobody thought." That he would be the king. And, and God said to Samuel, he said, you know, thou lookest on the outside, but I look in the heart. And God sees the value in those things that we can't see the value in. But look at verse number 34. And Laban said, behold, I would it might be according to thy word. And Laban's just happy. Laban thinks he just got the deal of his life. Because, because if you remember, and I don't want to spend too much time, uh, you know, doing this. But, it, but if you remember there, uh, where in in verse, uh, let's see, verse twenty-eight, Genesis thirty twenty-eight, Laban said, and he said, appoint me thy wages. All right, he said that in Genesis thirty twenty-eight. Now go to Genesis twenty-nine fifteen. Genesis twenty-nine fifteen. Notice what Laban says to Jacob when they first met. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, notice what he asks him, What shall thy wages be? He asked him the same question. Now back in Genesis, this is Genesis 29, I understand it's one chapter difference, but that's 14 years difference. Jacob just came into town. And Jacob's been doing some work for Laban for about a month. And Laban said, hey, you don't have to work for me for free. Tell me what your wages will be. And Jacob said, oh. Jacob was this young, naive, didn't know how to make deals, didn't know how to go into contracts. And he said, I'll work seven years for your daughter. Now here's the thing. In the Bible, it's very often that a man would pay a price to be able to marry someone's daughter. But no one prays, no one works seven years. I mean, you think Laban should have said to him, look, I know she's pretty. She's not that pretty. I mean, seven years, good night. You know, and, and maybe, but what did Laban do? He just took advantage of him. He said, okay. Because he was naive. Because he didn't know how to make a deal. And then Laban tricked him. Now we understand that Jacob was just reaping what he sowed because he tricked Isaac, his father, and Esau, and stole a blessing. And we preached all that already. But Laban tricked him. And Jacob ended up working 14 years and had nothing to show for. And now Jacob is making this deal and Laban thinks he's getting the same thing. He thinks he's ripping him off again. He's thinking, man, this guy's an idiot. He's asking for the ring striking. He's asking for the brown. I don't even want that. You can have it. And he says to him in verse 34, And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. He says, Great, deal. And then look at what Laban does. And this shows you that where Laban's heart is. Look at verse 35. And he, talking about Laban, because remember, Jacob said, I will go through and I'll remove the cattle. Talking about the fact that he's not going to count that as his own. But then Laban takes it a 
step further and he said, and he removed that day the he-goats that were ring straight and spotted, and all the she-goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown among the sheep, and gave them into the hands of his son. And he said, Three days journey betwixt himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So they just got done making this deal. They shook on it. Alright, Jacob, I'm going to pay you the ring-straken, the, lay, the, the spotted, the brown. Whatever is born that has some sort of a brown mark on it, it's yours. And then this is what he did. He took all the sheep that were already brown, ring-straken, brown. He took them and he set them three days' journey away. And only allowed Laban to have the white. Now think about this. If all you have is white sheep, how likely are you to have more white sheep? Very likely. I mean, he took all the brown and he took it away from Laban because he's thinking to himself, if I take it away, then, then if all he has is white sheep, then more than likely all that's going to be born is white sheep. And he's trying to rip them off. And here's what you've got to understand, and I, and I hope you understand this when it comes to Christianity. The moment you decide that you as a Christian want to start producing something, the moment you decide that you're going to start doing something, that you're going to start going to church, that you're going to start reading your Bible, that you're going to start getting involved, that you're going to start going sowing, that you're going to start witnessing, that you're going to take a part in growing and increasing a flock, the moment you decide that, just, just mark it down, just be prepared, because there's going to be somebody who's going to oppose or resist you. There always will be. You start trying to go to, go to church, people are going to be against you. People are going to like it. You know what? You, you, can, you can be high, you can be on drugs, you can be wasting all your money on gambling, you can be drunk, you can be in and out of prison, and your family will by and large have no problem with it at all. You start going to a Bible preaching church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, getting right with God, getting things straight, doing things right, and all of a sudden everybody thinks you're, you're weird. You know, you think they'd be excited for you. You think they'd be happy. But that's when resistance comes. That's when opposition comes. You think well, Laban would be happy to give Jacob his worth iron. Instead, he's just trying to rip him off and taking all those things and making his job as hard as possible. Look at verse 37. Now, here's where it gets a little odd. And let me just explain to you what's going on because often we don't, we, we don't really understand this. But in verse 37, the Bible says, And Jacob took him rods of green poplar... And of the hazel and chestnut tree, and peeled white strakes in them, and made the white appear, which was in the rods. So this is what Jacob did. He takes these rods, these tree branches, and he peels them in order to expose the, you know, the inner layer. Where these brown, you know, um, branches with peeled white. And in verse 38, 38 it says, And he set the rods which he had piled, that's an old word for peeled, before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs, when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive that they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods, and brought forth cattle, ring straight, speckled, and spotted. Now, you, you may be wondering, what is going on here? Well, first of all, let me say this. We're not exactly sure what Jacob is doing here. We don't really understand it, and let me just burst your bubble. Nobody really understands it. You know, all these commentaries, people try to explain it away. They don't know what's going on. We do know this. Let, 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 me, let me talk about the things we do know. Number one, we know that Jacob has been in the business of dealing with flocks and sheep for a long time. He's been doing it 
since he was a child with Isaac as dad. He's been doing it now professionally for Laban for 14 years, and he's very successful at it. He's very good at it. We do know this. The Bible says that he did these things that they should conceive. We know he was successful at it. Now, I don't understand it. If I had to take an educated guess, I would guess that maybe, and I'm not saying this in the Bible, I, I don't know, but I would guess that maybe by the fact that he, he took a certain type of branch and he peeled it, and then the Bible says he put that in the watering trough of the sheep, so when the sheep would come to drink water, they would conceive. You know, if I had to guess, I, I would think that maybe Jacob, just by experience, maybe he understood or maybe he knew that by putting these peeled pieces of branch into that water, maybe, I don't know, maybe that released some sort of a nutrient or some sort of a chemical that placed these sheep in, in heat or something to cause them to conceive. I, you know, I don't know. I know that certain things affect certain animals different ways. You know, I think, I was talking to my wife about this, I, I think it was alligators or crocodiles if they're mating and it's a certain temperature outside, the temperature determines whether they're going to have male or females, you know. So we don't really know how all of these things work. And maybe one day modern science will catch up to the Bible and explain to us what Jacob did, uh, was doing, you know. Because maybe just because we don't understand it now doesn't mean there isn't science behind it. You know, um, I'd like to give you some examples. You know, there used to be a time in, in the world and in this country when people thought that if you were sick, that it was because you had bad blood. And they would remove your blood. George Washington, the President of the United States of America, died because he was sick. And they brought leeches to suck out his blood. And we know now that if someone loses enough blood, they die. But they didn't know it back then. They thought that if you, you, know, if you were sick, it's because you had bad blood, so they had to take your blood out. And many people died. Now, the book of Genesis. You're there in Genesis chapter number 30. Go over to Genesis chapter number 9. And look at verse number 4. Genesis chapter number 9, and look at verse number 4. This is, this is like Noah's Ark time. You know, Noah's Ark. I mean, this was a long time ago. And in Genesis chapter number 9, and verse 4, the Bible says, But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And that's one of the reference, multiple references throughout the Bible, where the, where the Bible tells us that the blood is the life. Okay, so the Bible told us for a long time that your life is in your blood. And if you don't have blood, you don't have life. And we understand now that the blood carries the oxygen through your body and that's why we live. But even 200 years ago, even George Washington, they didn't understand that. But the, it was in the Bible. Since the book of Genesis was in the Bible. Let me give you another example. Go with me to Leviticus chapter number 15. You're there in, in Genesis, just go to Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 15, look at verse number 13. Leviticus chapter number 15, look at verse number 13. Leviticus 15, 13 says this, And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in running water, and shall be clean. In the, and that's just one of the references. I could have showed you multiple references. In the Bible, specifically in the book of Leviticus, God teaches that when you're going to wash your hands, when you're going to wash your body, when you're going to wash an animal, you ought to wash it in running water. Did you know that in the United States of America, for the longest time in hospitals, doctors would wash their hands in, a, a still, in still water? They would have water in, a, in a, like a basin, and all the doctors would wash that, and they'd perform an operation, they'd go wash their hands, 
And they'd go off to another operation. And people were dying by the hundreds, by the thousands, because if you have still water, water that's sitting there, bacteria and germs get in that water. And as all these doctors, one of them's performing births, one of them's performing surgeries, one of them's dealing with this sick patient, one of them's dealing with that sick patient, they would come and they'd all wash their hands in the same water. And all these germs, and, and people were dying like crazy in the United States of America. And eventually they figured out, wait a minute, maybe we should be washing our, water, our hands in running water to get rid of all those germs. It's in the, it's in the book of Leviticus. I mean, thousands of years ago. It's in the Bible. How about this? You don't have to turn there. But in Job 26.7, the Bible says that the world... Actually, let's just go there. Go into Job 26.7. I think this stuff is interesting. I don't know if you do. But if you find the book of Psalms, right before the book of Psalms, there's Job 26. Look at Job 26. If you don't want to turn there, I'll just read it for you. Job 26.7 says this. Listen to this. He stretched out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. We're told that Job is, what is the first book ever written in the Bible. Now, Jet as far as chronology, Genesis was written, but Genesis, we're told, was written after Job. Job was actually the first book in the Bible. The very first book in the Bible says this, that God hangeth the earth upon nothing. You know what he's talking about? Outer space. That the earth hangs on nothing. It just floats in space. We didn't know that till modern times, when we went up into space and we were able to look at you know, telescopes and certain things. Back in the book of Job, they knew that. Job... 38.19 says this. Let me read for you this. Job 38.19. I'm trying to show you. People say, oh, the Bible's not a book of science. It's a book of science. Let me read for you Job 38.19. Has thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. I'm reading the wrong word. Oh, 19. It says, where is the way where light dwelleth? And as the darkness, where is the place thereof? The Bible says in Job 38.19, where is the way that light dwelleth? People used to mock at this verse and say, the way that light dwelleth. Like, light doesn't dwell anywhere. Light is something we see. It doesn't dwell. But the Bible says, where's the way that light dwelleth? You know that modern science has taught us that light travels? Have you ever heard this term, light speed? Where people talk about, oh, light speed. You know that light travels and it has a circuit that it runs? And people used to mock at the book of Job when it said that. And now we understand, whoa, Job actually knew what he's talking about. Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse 22 talks about the earth being a circle, being round. But it took Christopher Columbus to, you know, sail the sea to figure out that the earth wasn't flat because everybody used to think the earth was flat. They would have read the book of Isaiah, they would have known, wait a minute, the earth is round. So what I'm trying to show you is this. The Bible has always been ahead of science. And just because we don't understand Genesis 30, maybe one day we will. Maybe one day we'll find out that this certain tree had a certain type of thing that made these sheep. I don't know. I'm not saying that's what happened. But I'm just saying that we ought not look at things in the Bible and say, oh, that's a bunch of rubbish. Because people have done that throughout all the centuries and every time they've just found out to be wrong. They say, oh, the way that light dwells. And then, you know, now everybody knows about light speed. Everybody knows about, you know, light traveling through space. But they used to think, oh, that's a bunch of rubbish. So what I'm trying to say is, we don't really understand what's going on there, but we do understand that um, Jacob obviously knew what he was doing. 
And he did these things. But I, I want you to look uh, at, at verse number um, 38 again. It says, And he set the rods which he peeled before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink. And he says, That they should conceive when they came to drink. So the purpose he did it was so that they would conceive. Alright? Now look at verse number 40. No, in verse 39 we saw there, And the flocks conceived before the rods, and brought forth cattle, ring straight, speckled, and spotted. So you see there, Jacob has only white lambs to work with. And when these cattle and these flocks conceive, all that conceives is spotted, speckled, and ring straight. Isn't that amazing? God performed a miracle there. To where that's all that conceived. Look at verse 40. And Jacob did separate the lambs, and set the faces of the flocks toward the ring strike, and all the brown in the flock of Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves, and put them not unto Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, look at verse 41, And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in, so the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. Now, it might seem, and I'm not disagreeing with you if, you're, if you believe that, you know, this is the only part of it uh, uh, where it seems that um, Jacob is, is maybe doing something a little bit dishonest, or maybe doing something, I don't really understand, you know, but what he's doing is he's doing this. These, these sheep are being born, and now he's purposely finding the strong ones and having them mate with the, with the uh, you know, spotted and, and ring-straked and, 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 and all of that. And, and he's keeping the white ones to be the weakest one because he wants his sheep to be the strongest. He wants Laban's to be the weakest. Now look, that might be dishonest. That might be bad. I don't really, you know, uh, I'm not disagreeing with you there. But you know what that is? It's good business. That's smart. He's, he's making sure that he gets the strong sheep. And you know, the Bible, as, as mean and as evil as that sounds, you know, the, Jesus teaches that. You know, Jesus said that when you go into a city, and if you're preaching the gospel, and if they reject you, He says to just quit wasting your time there. He says to, to shake the dust off your feet and move on. You know why? Because God teaches in the Bible that we in our ministry need to focus. See, what Jacob was doing, he was focused on the strong. And not on the weak. And we, you know, as a pastor, I focus on the strong sheep. You say, that, that's me, that's myself. That's the truth. When I preach a sermon, I don't preach it for the visitor. You know, when visitors come to our church, especially on Sunday morning, I mean, on Sunday mornings, if you've been with us, I, we preach a lot of doctrine. We preach a lot of heavy doctrine. On the evening services, we're preaching through the text, so it's kind of whatever the text teaches. But a lot of times on Sunday mornings, we're preaching doctrine, we're preaching things. Why? Because we're, cause I'm always constantly preaching towards the stronger sheep, the more spiritual. Oftentimes, you go to church on Sunday morning, and the pastor is just catering to the visitors. And just giving you this lame little, not saying much. Not, look, I, I, I love the visitor. I'm thankful for the visitor. But I'm not preaching for the visitor. I'm preaching for the safe Christian. Because we ought to be focusing on the strong. The, the strong. That's what Jacob was doing. He was focused on the strong. He was focused on, not on the weak. He was focused on that which could produce the most. And that's what we ought to be focused on. You know, I, I remember um, uh, on... on uh, on, on Tuesday night, February, back on a Tuesday night, we had a special service here. And we had Pastor Steve Anderson come from Faithful Word Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona, Tempe, Arizona. He came to preach for us. And on that night, we had 58 people in church. Highest attendance we've ever had. And obviously, it was a special service. We'd invited 
other churches and they brought their, you know, other churches came and, and it was a, you know, it wasn't on a Wednesday night or a Sunday, so other churches agreed to come because it wasn't messing up their services. And we had 58 people in church. I mean, this entire building was packed to the back. We had people sitting up there. We had a little balcony and it was a great service. And I remember Brother brother Anderson, Brother Ray Anderson, birthday is July 20th, and I'm Burlington. He came and we had pizza. We had round table pizza. And uh, we had, you know, uh, he, he, he ate, and him and his wife, and we were talking, and they had to get going. And I said, would you like to say some pizza to go home? And he said, well, I don't know, because uh, I don't think everybody's ate. And I looked at him, and, and, you know, this may be rude, I don't know. He thought it was funny. But I said, do you think I care about these people? He said, I don't know who these people are. I'm never going to see these people again. They're not here because of me. They're not ever going to come back to this church. I said, you're my church member. Take all the pizza you want. And I went and I grabbed him. And I like four or five slices. I gave him He said, why would you do that? What about these other people? Look, I don't know who those people are. As far as I'm concerned, they're weak sheep. But you know what? He's a strong sheep. I, I want to focus on those who are interested in the church. I want to focus on those who... And that's what I, and that's what I believe. You know, we've got... We, sometimes we've got people who... Uh, I'm thinking of someone right now... Uh, who, this, this lady who wants to spend a lot of time with my wife. And she wants, to, she, she wants to spend, you know, she wants to do things with her on Tuesday and on Thursday and on Friday, but she doesn't want to come to church on Sunday or Wednesday. You know, and, and here's my philosophy. You want to come to church, we'll give you all the time you want. You don't want to come to church, hey, look, I'm a, we're busy people. I work a full-time job. I go to school full-time. I pastor a church. I've got a wife and a kid. We've got things to do. Now look, in my, I've got to manage my time. And literally, I give people time as I see their strength. If people are half in, half out, they don't really know if they want to come, if they don't want to come, whatever, then that's my attitude towards them. I'm half in, half out. You're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You're interested in the things of God. I'm interested in you. Because I've got to focus my attention on the strong sheep. I've got to focus my attention. Uh, you know, let me give you another example. There was a guy who quit our church. It's a funny thing. There was a guy who quit our church because of my two-year-old son. Can you believe that? Now, that's kind of a funny story. Here's what happens. My, I've got a two, uh, one and a half year old, almost two-year-old son. We, open, we keep the church, the, the door open before service. Well, my son has this fascination. He loves to slam doors. He's a little kid. He's one years old. And he loves to just go and slam the door. And I guess this guy was coming to church one day. He was just coming to church. And the door slammed in his face. And he got really upset and mad. And he sent, wrote me a big old email saying, Some, you guys slammed the door in my face and I don't appreciate that. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, good night. You know, it's my one and a half year old. You know, now here's the thing. I was busy that week. We were going out of town. I had, I had finals. I had three sermons to write. I, and you know what? I I could have sat there. Because he, he, he wasn't... That was the main issue, but there was other issues. I could have sat there and spent an hour writing him back. Explaining everything. But here's what I thought to myself. This guy comes to church once every couple months. When I call him. Or when, if I take him out to lunch, he comes to church. And you know what I decided? I decided, it's not worth my time. Because if somebody thinks that we go out and knock on doors for... Hours upon hours. You know, people think I, I do all this just so I can sit there, wait till you almost come in and slam the door in your face. I mean, you got more issues than, you know, if you think I'm purposely slamming the door in your face. Obviously, there was a mistake there, you know. Now, here's the thing, though. If that person would have been somebody who comes to church on a regular basis, Sunday morning, Sunday night, you better believe, I would have been at their house, I would have been apologizing, I would have been explaining to them, look, we weren't trying to be rude, it's my son, you know, and I'm, you know, we're trying to teach him. Because I, I give people the amount of time that I feel, you know, if you, what's the point? If you're only coming once every couple months and you're just looking for an excuse to get mad. Do you see what I'm saying? 
We focus on people. We give attention to people as they show maturity and growth and strength. And if we've got to choose between the weaker and the stronger, you must always choose the stronger. That's what Jesus did. Jesus rejected cities. That way, he would not waste his time. When we were preaching through the book of John, I kept referencing how much time he would spend. He performed his first miracle. He performed his second miracle. He performed multiple miracles in the same city. And often he would go to other cities and perform no miracles. Why? Because those people were believing on him. Those people were not. And we in the ministry have got to fight, choose our battles. And as people get interested, as people begin to grow, as people, hey, you, I'll give you all the time in the world if you're interested in this book. But if you just want, you know, if you're just looking for someone to hang out with during the week, but you're not really interested in church, I'm not interested in you. You say, well, that's me. It's, it's, not, it's not mean. It's that I've only got 24 hours a day. I've got to focus our attention. And, and, and we've got to learn to be that way. And that's what Jacob was doing. He was taking the strong sheep, and he was focused on the strong sheep. And if they were interested in getting stronger, let's make them stronger. But if they're not interested, then what's the point? You say, Why is, what is the point of all that? Look at verse 43. And the man increased exceedingly, and had much cattle. And maid servants and men servants and camels and asses. You know what happened? He went from a very poor man to a very rich man. He increased exceedingly. He became very rich. Go back to verse one. Remember where we started? I've got a lot of other notes, but I don't I don't have time to go through it. Just look at verse number one. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister, and said unto Jacob, Give me children. Or else I die. You know, the Bible uses many illustrations for soul winning. He uses sheep. Uses fishing. Uses bearing fruit. Uses reaping and sowing. One of the analogies that God uses is having children. I don't have time to go through all the verses. But we can go through the verses and see how Paul Paul had no physical children. But he often said of Timothy and of Titus and of his converts, he called them my son in the faith. He often said of those that he'd gotten saved, he said, I have begotten you in the faith. And you know, when you get somebody saved, really, that that becomes like your spiritual child. Now obviously God is the father of all, but like when I get somebody saved, that's almost like my my son in the faith. Like I got them saved. It's my responsibility to help them grow and help them see And Rachel here, she said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And that should be the attitude we have as Christians. We should go to God and say, God, you're not talking about physical children, but we ought to go to God and say, God, give me spiritual children or else I die. We ought to have an attitude and say, God, I, I, I want to reproduce myself. I want to bring life into this world too. Spiritual life. I want to go out and get... That's why he says being born again. You know, the analogy there is of giving birth to someone. We ought to have that attitude like Rachel was saying when she was looking at all these other women. She was looking at Leah and then she saw these other women. They were all having children. Everybody's having children. She was not having children. And she goes to heaven and says, give me children or else I die. She said, I just want to have kids. And we ought to have the attitude where maybe look at other churches and other successes and other soul winners, other people getting other people saved and, and bringing precious seed and getting people, you know, children, or else I die. That's the attitude we ought to have. To reproduce ourselves. To increase the flock. To grow. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father.